I have so many non sequiturs I could I could begin with. I that I'm lost. <laughs> okay. That's always good. I mean, I'm glad we have things to talk about. I don't think it's a I don't think that's ever an issue, but especially on a day where we're coming off a small hiatus. Yeah. Why did we uh No, okay. Yeah, I thought this was my COVID hiatus. It's not. No, this was just like life, you know, liberty, the pursuit life, of happiness. Life, man. Let me let me tell you, life. Let me let me rap philosophic for a minute about life. I'm kind of just letting you go because you kind of hinted that you have something you want to talk about. <laughs> I mean, I do and I don't really. I am just, I've just been I've been on a sitcom kick. Actually, I do have something to talk about. First of all, I've been on a sitcom kick. Um, I've also been on a cake batter latte from Dunkin Donuts kick. And sometimes all you could do in life is is swallow your um, your pain in sitcoms and cake batter lattes. I didn't know where that was going for a second. I'm glad you re- rebounded there at the end. <laughs> That being said, as I sip my CBL, um, this is our first episode back after a very difficult um, period of time in my life, um, and I know I'm oh, yeah. just wondering, yeah, wondering about it. Um, and that's the you're, passing of Mr. You are, of Ray course, Miota. you of course referring to the hiatus of BTS. <laughs> BTS is on hiatus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, saw that today. Really, didn't know that. Hang on, let me make sure. BTS announces hiatus to focus on solo projects, but they promise that they're going to come back together. Uh, That's how it starts. It's it's the old 1D playbook. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you about a band that promised they'd get back together. That band was called Dream Street. Actually, I don't think they promised that, but they're... Nobody asked for them to come back is the difference. Correct. They did come back anyway um, (laughs) during COVID. But my point about it is, you know who the Dream Street of their time were? Uh, the Rat Pack, if you will. And, <laughs> yeah. And Ray Liotta starred in the Rat Pack. And that's why I just wanted to... You know, I want to hear what you have to say about Ray Liotta before we start. What I found out about Ray Liotta is, one, that you've seen way more Ray Liotta movies than me. Two, is that mm-hmm. no matter what movie he ever was in, he always was like a beacon of quality. Even if the movie itself wasn't great, like... I know I always reference this one when we're talking about him, but the audience doesn't know. Like, the movie Wild Hogs from, like, 2007. Not mm-hmm. a great movie. Um, pretty hacky yeah. comedy starring Martin Lawrence and Tim Allen and um, William H. Macy and John Travolta. Certainly not a movie that they would any of them would put on their resumes and not a movie that Ray Liotta would ever put on his resume, but he was consistently solid in movies like that. You know what I mean? He showed up and always gave an effort, even if the material yeah. was beneath him. And I'm finding out from you, having you being the Ray Liotta superfan you are and having seen so many movies of his, is that I have huge blind spots of his filmography that I still need to fill up. Obviously, I've got the Goodfellas. I've got movies like Copland and Marriage Story and Killing Him Softly. But there's still a lot in like the 90s and 2000s of like quality work that I still have never touched. Yeah, you know, I <clears throat> most of the reason that you're right, I've seen a lot of Ray Liotta movies. Most of the reason I have is because, as you know, I spent a chunk of last year attempting to watch every movie Ray Liotta's ever in, in full, calling, calling it Liotathon. And um, I had to stop for a bit because it was a lot of Ray Liotta consecutively, and <laughs> I didn't even like make a dent in that thing. I, I got, I'm like 30% at most done with that filmography. Um, 
You were also doing TV though, too. I I was doing Shades of Blue. I watched it all because I had been meaning to anyway. But my kind of so I do know a lot of movies probably of his. I've seen that you haven't seen, but I have not. Um, at that time, I did not see some big ones. I was waiting until the end for them. So to keep myself motivated, I was starting out with a lot of like very obscure ones. And um, uh, so when he passed, I had to like go back and watch some others because I wanted to put together a letterbox list of like different sides of Ray Liotta. Um, and you're right. I What I was thinking about when he passed was when he when I was doing Liotathon, um, I was it was half tongue in cheek because he's in a lot of clunkers of movies. Right. And I was just talking about I would kind of joke like, man, why did he take this role or whatever? And then, of course, like after after he died, I'm like thinking back and like feeling bad that I was viewing him in that way. But I and, you know, that always happens with actors where after they pass, you know, people will be more positive <laughs> and not joke about them. But yeah, I, <laughs> Matt Zoller Seitz did like an incredible like remembrance of him in Vulture um, where he ta- he says basically what you said, that he was always a good actor. And there were a lot of scripts that did not do him any favors. There were a lot of scripts that weren't up to the quality that he deserved as an actor and his capability. So it's just been interesting to think about it like that in a very serious sense of like, oh, the the dude was always good. Even in like Wild Hogs is a great example of that guy using his persona for comedy. And um, I don't know if that made my list, though, because, you know, I was trying to keep it to like one per. And I think, you know, no, Wild Hogs made the list. I also put B-Movie in there as like an example of his cameo work, um, but it's not the best example of them. Plays Jack Blade in Wild Hogs. That's a great Jack movie, Blade. Well, we'll end this part by saying, um, and this is for you and all the listeners, you should watch Something Wild because it's just a friggin' great movie. And uh, I really like Unlawful Entry, too, um, in which he plays a cop slash rapist. Very flattering role. You know, we haven't discussed the proximity of you starting Leodathon to his passing. Like, within a year? There's something suspicious there? You got something to do with this? 100%, I think they're... they're, (laughs) I think I killed him. Yeah. (laughs) Why does everything you love die? Ray Liotta, we always talked about how he's a mark of quality in even movies that are bad. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio, a lot of people would say the same thing about him. Um... And we're going to do back-to-back Leo movies, even though he is the middle part of the new chain that we are forming. Um, I'm going to make sure that I get the chain number right here. This is chain number 10 we're putting together. This is episode number 19 of the Cinema Chain Gang podcast. I'm Drew Ogier. That's Nick Ricardo. We are starting another new chain today. We start with Judy Dench, who, of course, we left off with with Murder on the Orient Express. And we will use Leonardo DiCaprio as a transition point to Himesh Patel, who is an up-and-coming uh, actor who's been in a lot of things recently, uh, but that'll allow us to get another pretty contemporary movie at the end of the chain. We are reviewing Jay Edgar today, um, which is the Clint Eastwood biopic about the director and creator of the FBI as it stands today. Uh, and then we will transition to Himesh Patel's work um, in using Leonardo DiCaprio in Don't, last year's Don't Look Up, which of course was a Best Picture nominee, but one of the more polarizing Best Picture nominees of recent history. Yeah. Jagger is a movie that I had not seen coming into today. I did Correct. a similar, I did a similar binge to you in 2017, 2018, where 
I went through every or almost every Leonardo DiCaprio performance. So I went through all of his stuff from the from the early to late 90s. I went through no. all the mid 2000s slogs. I never got to Jay Edgar. It's one of the only ones that I needed for the completion, but never fully got all the way there. Did you uh, have a name for this? No. No, because I was doing for it for the... myself, not for social media. Um, okay, no, no, no. I, I mean, most things I do are for social media. However, I always need a name for what I'm doing. Oh, no. So, just FYI. Okay, well, by the end of I, the podcast, I'll come up with one for you. I just call it a project. It was just like my latest project, you know what I mean? Um, I was going to do it with like a, a bigger, like an actor with more density, like Samuel Jackson, to follow up the Leonardo DiCaprio one, but I figured I'd never finish the Leo one. So there's no way I was going to ever finish the Samuel Jackson one. <laughs> yeah, fair. I wonder how many credits he has on IMDb. Samuel L. Jackson, IMDb. Leo's is in a reasonable range, but Samuel Jackson has 201 credits on IMDb. That's incredible. Jeez. Never stop the hustle. Take every role you can. They'll never forget about you. <laughs> Been working since the 70s and then finally became famous in the late 90s. Like, Samuel? Pretty, pretty impressive, yeah. Goodfellas cameo, baby. Right, exactly. I don't know if Jay that's Edgar. a cameo, but Jay Edgar. Directed by Clint Eastwood, who was going through kind of like a kick of these based on a true story um, biopics. Uh, this focuses on the life of J. Edgar Hoover, as we talked about. Um, stars Leonardo DiCaprio as J. Edgar Hoover, who from the early 1920s on kind of changes how the FBI safeguards against perceived threats in the country. He integrates a lot of revolutionary techniques that are kind of ethically sketch sketchy, but keep the country safe. Um, he has Clyde Tolson uh, by his side. Army Hammer plays his right-hand man. Uh, Helen Grant Gandy is like his secretary and confidant. Uh, she she's played by Naomi Watts. And then you have a bunch of other character actors in this. You got Josh Lucas, who plays Charles Lindbergh. They go over the kidnapping of the Lindbergh baby a little bit. Dermot Mulroney is in this. Jeffrey Donovan is in this. Stephen Root is in this. And then, of course, we have Judy Dench. The reason we're watching this, she plays Annie Hoover, who is Jay Edgar's mother and a very key central figure in his life. Um, this was a time, like I said, that Clint Eastwood was doing a lot of these based on true story movies. He had just come off of this movie Invictus, which came out a couple of years earlier about a South, uh, South African rugby team and Nelson Mandela. Um, he would eventually go on to make movies like Sully and The 1517 to Paris and American Sniper, I believe, was right in the aftermath of this as well. So definitely had a type of movie that he was making at this point of varying quality. Uh, came out in 2011. It was expected to be a big awards player. Just simply wasn't good enough to compete in the awards uh, discussion, though everybody pretty much agreed that Leo was strong enough in it to garner some awards buzz on his own. But the question is, how does the movie hold up on merits beyond just good performances because there's nick it's always tough to make a movie about somebody's life that is so yeah. influential in the history of american politics and american culture and J. Edgar hoover shaped literally how law enforcement works um on a federal level for you know the last century so absolutely how do you find the time to make the story interesting enough that it feels like you're not just reading a Wikipedia article on J. Edgar Hoover. And in my opinion, mm -hmm. the movie kind of fails to go beyond that surface level biopic 
issue that I have, which is a lot of times, why can't I just be reading a book about this person as opposed to watching the movie? What did you do to make this cinematic? But there's a lot of pedigree involved. There's a lot of good people involved in this movie. Yeah, that I, I do think that there is um, a tendency for biopics to do that a lot. Uh, and in some cases, it comes down to it being a quality thing and they wanted it to be a good movie, but it, they wanted it to be all encompassing and they didn't really have like a vision attached to it. Other times I think there are writers and directors who don't think about, you know, why am I making this movie? There seems to be a kind of, especially like nowadays, um, there seems to be a kind of like belief that, uh, you know, somebody's story is not told until it's made into a movie. And so there will be, you know, you can have as many books about celebrity X, but then it's it's not until a movie's made that it's like, there are people who are like, okay, now it matters. Now he got the movie treat. Now this is the ultimate honor or something like that. Now that wasn't quite what was going on, I, you know, at this time when the movie was coming out, but it certainly has like slowly been evolving to that over time. Um, I feel like Clint Eastwood would do that. Like he kind of just like makes this movie and is not putting a lot of <laughs> like the vision into it or something. Um, it also... I don't know. I do think it it told interesting parts of, you know, the story that people didn't know. Uh, it's like I didn't know what point he was making, if there was one, at what point Eastwood was making. But I was surprised at what he was covering. That makes sense. Because I wouldn't call it. Uh, I, I don't want to say it was like outwardly a celebration of J. Edgar, but it kind of was right. It's not as critical as him of him as a different movie might have been. I don't yes, think it's and like as it would, super... I don't think it would fly now right currently right now i don't think it would yeah i i think uh if the movie wasn't so it's like it's the movie is sort of balanced in that it isn't a hundred percent like idolizing what jay Edgar was and what he stood for but it also doesn't go all the way in on all the controversies and you know literally people think that he killed martin luther king jr and you know it just shows him getting kind of riled up about and how he conducts his business and stuff like that but it never goes fully into that there's there's an interesting framing device, um, or or would be interesting if the movie did anything <laughs> that was that was like you know beyond basic levels solid mediocrity, um, where you know it shows his rise through the FBI as a younger man, and then in makeup that we will go into in a bit, uh, Leo and Army Hammer in the 1960s 1970s basically you know. They're they're trying to record their side of the story and, you know, like as, as a different administration comes in and tries to regulate what they've been doing. And because because there was a point where Jay Edgar was one of the most powerful men, you know, in the country. Um, and now you have somebody that's pushing back on him. So age and legacy are a big theme that the movie that could coalesce into something here if the movie wasn't so not disjointed, but just more interested in like playing out this event happened and then this event happened and then this event happened, you know? Yeah. And it is, um, as you're saying before, it's kind of, uh, his story is a bigger deal than I think people will realize. And, uh, be because so much of what we take for granted was made by him, the FBI fingerprinting, things like, like all, all these very basic standards, um, were made by him. I, I go back and forth on how much the, how well the movie drove the, those points home, but I think it was most effective when it did it with like, specific star like i i think it was more effective in talking about like the Lindbergh story than i learned more about j edgar through the Lindbergh case than i did through like some larger more general narratives i, I think in the movie if that makes sense i also got super 
super deep into um, a Lindbergh baby kidnapping rabbit hole on the internet when I was watching this movie. Yeah. Um, it's, but um... to go back to an earlier point, um, J. Edgar, I don't know how much it'll be covered, but there's another Leo movie coming out that J. Edgar does play at least conceptually an integral part of. Do you know what that movie is? Killers of the Flower Moon. It is yeah. Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, Which that, is Scorsese, yeah. Yeah, and that, um, there's like a great book about it that it's based on, and that is, I read, and um, that uh, that is another case, I guess similar to the Lindbergh one, um, that's a case that was like very instrumental in the formation of, um, you know, of the FBI in general. Yeah. So let, let's let's organize this a little bit because the Lindbergh thing is a big chunk of the middle, but the beginning kind of has to establish him as this like go getter and how exactly he you know how exactly what makes him tick, who he is as a person, and you know like why he was able to grow to the notoriety that he would end up playing such a big role in like the Lindbergh kidnapping. Um, and my I think my a big problem for me right off the bat is that the the movie never evolves the character of J. Edgar. This could have been how he was in real life, but it's the way its characterization of him is boring because right off the bat, he's a visionary. He knows exactly what he's going to do with the FBI. He knows exactly how he's going to change it. Interesting. He never has to grow or evolve as a person. Like he has this conversation with Naomi Watts's character early on where he's like, we need to be doing this, this, and this. And he has conversations with his bosses and he's saying, we need to do this, this, and this. And he ends up being completely right about all that. There's no... He doesn't mess up at any point. You know what I mean? Like career-wise. That's kind of boring to watch. Like where, where we're supposed to find the flaws is in his own, and we really haven't gotten into this aspect, but the closeted homosexuality uh, that he, you know, has to hold in and also his paranoia uh, about mm -hmm. that and about different uh, other aspects of his life um, and losing his power that he has cultivated so easily because he like I said, right off the bat, is like one of the greatest geniuses of the United States, <laughs> you know? So you're, you're not, the movie is written by Dustin Lance Black, whose only other really notable screenwriting credit uh, was the Harvey Milk movie that Sean Penn won the Oscar for. Um, and this movie kind of misses the mark in taking Hoover's life and making it something compelling beyond like him as a figure head if that makes sense it does i had not thought about you know the movie in terms of what growth are we seeing in the j edgar character which one does make me feel okay like it, it certainly is more of a celebration of him or something you were talking before though about that character just not being very interesting do you feel how much of that do you think was in the writing and how much of that do you think was like leo's portrayal of him i put none of the onus on leo uh, I no. think Leo can only work on work with what he's given. And I think sure. he finds shades of the performance where he at least, you know, was able to showcase a little bit of insecurity um, in different ways, uh, like the way that he is able to kind of showcase, you know, how much the loyalty, loyalty of his men and how much the how much of them looking up to him is such a big deal. Um, mm hmm how he can conjure up the authority of discipline of these people um, and needs to be able to uh, the way he carries himself yeah. around different characters changes 
And I think that a lot of that has to do with the performance. Um, I just don't think the movie does enough, gives him enough to go beyond the surface level of him just being a good actor. Yeah, that's fair. I, and I do, um, I really like in particular shaky or nervous or inconfident Leo like roles where like that side of himself is, is kind of highlighted. And certainly there, there are confident parts of J. Edgar. There are other points like the paranoia and stuff. You said there are points where he's super unsure of himself. And I, I'm like particularly of all Leo's work. I think I am most particularly drawn to those. That's just like such, I've always thought that's an interesting shade on him as an actor. Um, I do I couldn't shake Gatsby the whole time during this, I think, just because of the way that he sounded. His cadence, um, yeah. It, yes, there's 100%. And a little bit of, like, accent or something, there's 100% of Gatsby there. Um, For sure, absolutely. I think um, there... You know what I mean? Like, he he's able to elevate what he's doing beyond the distracting elements of the movie, which is the, the subpar script. Um, I really was not a fan of the visual direction of this movie. I don't know if you had an issue with just watching the movie it's so hard it's so hard to see anything it, it the way the movie is lit and shots it is so dark and so saturated of color which it, yeah you know stylistically yeah stylistically is a clint thing right exactly but at the same time it's just like this this specific movie is so dimly composed it's to the point of almost self-parody i was having to like literally squint at points to see what was happening visually so that's another thing that distracts <laughs> and then you get to the later period parts and the makeup people like leo looks okay as an older jagger but army hammer as colson <laughs> so i knew that you i want to hear about this because i knew that you um i didn't hate army's makeup as much as you did but i did hate it like you were saying, Leo can only work with what he's given. I kind of think Army's face can't be aged, not in a sense of like Army looks young, but it's just something about makeup. Old makeup doesn't work on his face. When he's older, his face is going to change too drastically. They can't be replicated with makeup. And so I think the makeup people can only go so far on Army Hammer. It looks it looks so disconcerting and distracting. You know what I mean? What did like you he... um, what did what did you compare it to? It looks like the the I think you should leave sketch where um, Tim Carl Robinson Havoc, is work. Yeah, yeah t t Tim Robinson is preparing for this like sketch prank show in the mall, and he's wearing the big like face mold and body cast, and just realizes yeah. <laughs> how how much of a fucking nightmare it is for him to be in said face mold and army uh and body cast. As, like <laughs> like Army Hammer, literally, he can't move any of his facial facial muscles throughout most of the scenes that he's in. And these are crucial moments of the movie, too. It's very distracting. I almost wish they had, like, yep. just said screw it and not done that kind of makeup and just made his hair white. You know what I mean? Or gave right. him maybe a few wrinkles. It's like, it's like they literally put a mold over his head. And, like, Leo, yeah, Leo has some makeup on, but I, I think it looks a little bit better. You know what I mean? They just gave him a receding hairline and made him I look fatter. I liked the Leo makeup, I thought. Um, I don't know. I thought he aged more realistically. Um, I do also, by the way, agree that like that it was annoyingly dark, the movie, um, in, in literal color and, and annoyingly muted the colors. Um, I also didn't, I liked overall direction or cinema, I don't want to say cinematography, but overall direction wise, I liked it. Like I thought it was fine and at points 
solid. In the overall, by that I mean not just how it looked, not how it looked, but um, kind of like the pacing of it and um, that tonally just kind of like what each scene is in invoking and emotion and stuff. I thought it was solid. Like, I don't, I agree with you. I think there, it was lacking in some arcs and some interesting areas and stuff like that. And I think like that is where the movie would have been made better. Um, but I think like, I did not have a lot of directing problems with it, direction problems with it, other than like you said, that, that <laughs> color aspect. And of course the makeup, I guess. It's like there are individual scenes that like grasp onto what, okay, this could have been the theme for the whole movie. Okay, this could have been a theme for the whole movie. It's just like it, when, when you're making a movie about a person like this, it, you need to have like a plan of how you're exactly you're going to translate what you want to translate. It, otherwise, it just ends up feeling too messy. Like what is it like? There are so many things this movie could be about. It could be about recognition. It could be about feminine energy in a masculine job. It could be about homosexuality, closeted homosexuality at the time. It could be about paranoia. It could be about age and legacy, like we talked about. It just ends up being about, like, sort of about all of those things. And there are, like, isolated moments that I think really work. Like, there's, um, there's a parallel moment when early in his career when he's out on the balcony in Washington. And there's a big parade. And, he, it, like, he wants the applause to be for him. And, like, then they cut 40 years ahead of time. And there's another parade out in the Washington streets. And he's accomplished so much more and has, in his mind, protected the country so much more, like adeptly at this point and he goes out on the balcony again and again the applause is not for him you know what i mean like it that that's an idea where it's like wow i've dedicated my life to clearly caring about what people think about me and how i govern and police this country and people still don't give me any kind of recognition or as i feel yeah that they have recognition have you know and at the same time it like it, and i agree it was very much about paranoia but also at the end um if I can jump to an end moment for a minute, the some of his paranoia is proving correct um, in, you know, him wanting to him wanting all of his files to be destroyed right when he hits the end of his life because um, he thought people were going to come looking for them and they did. So there's kind of like I, it's interesting to look at those two points together. People didn't care about him, but then in a sense, they did want to destroy him, but they didn't stand on their own enough. Like you said, there were too many points being made. So. I, I would have liked to see a movie that is just that, that is uh, a story about the intersection of him not getting the credit that he wanted and him also and him also having enemies who he fears are seeking to destroy him. And they are. Does that make sense? Yes, there are different ways to do biopics. Um, and I certainly prefer one way to the other. There are there's the way to do it like this movie does where it tries to capture 50 years worth of history in two hours. And it just like it, it can work, but there, there's a ceiling of how much it can be effective, in my opinion, because there's, there's no way you can comprehensively and satisfyingly capture every essence of a person and a character in that kind of, you know, framing. And then the other way you could do it is you can make it about that person. but don't give it like a very confined time and space. Uh, a movie yeah, that did a really I good. I like to think of that as the Sorkin route. Yeah. Yes. Well, yep. Like Steve Jobs is a good example of that though. Sorkin did not invent that. Like there, there are movies that have been doing 
that for decades. You know what I mean? Like that little confined spend no, 72 no, hours with a character. Yeah, he he whores it out, though. Yeah. So I think the best recent example of this uh, was Spencer last year with Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana. Um, takes place over like a weekend where she's a very particularly stressful time uh, with the royal family. And we get to know everything about her and kind of everything that the movie wants to get across about her. Um, it doesn't work for every character, but it like worked specifically really well in that situation. I think that could have really worked well for the J. Edgar movie. You you keep coming back to the Lindbergh baby case. What if this whole movie was just about that? I was going to say, I very much want to see that. And that, that would have spoken so much to, I think, J. Edgar, that era of J. Edgar, who he was, just seeing what he did in that case. I mean, that's what they're doing in this movie. If there was just a movie that stood on its own, it would say just as much about J. Edgar, in addition to just telling an interesting story about the Lindbergh case. Um, I also do agree with you on that, more or less on that biopic aspect um, of liking and almost preferring um, more condensed ones that take place over a shorter period of time. I do, though, I will push back on, like, I get tired of it. I'm tired of Aaron Sorkin doing it. I get tired of it when it's the same person doing it, because then the person becomes interchangeable and becomes more of, like, a gimmick of, like, look what I'm doing in this movie. Yeah. Um, so it depends on the person. I do agree, J. Edgar's one. Also, though, this is... A, the, the framing device of this is kind of formulaic, too, of it's built around him telling a story later. That in itself is it's it's not not a Forrest Gump, right? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, so. it, bore, it borders on parody. At one point I wrote, like, what's the point of this? It, like, it, it's lit like an SNL skit and it acts like an SNL skit at points. I mean, it's never that bad. You know what I mean? But it's like it just yeah, feels I mean, I'd call that harsh, but it feels like a parody at points of what a biopic is. You know what I mean? Like when they make fun of biopics, this is the kind of thing that it looks like. So if you if you were to and again, it, it's not our job to write a new movie. But our, po our the but point I mean, is, I'll if, do if, it. yeah, if, the point is, if you make the movie about the Lindbergh baby case, think about everything that happens in that time period. We learn about the techniques that they were using to try to investigate the crime with the ladder and everything. And Stephen Root's scientific character showing how the FBI's investigation methods is different. You have the local cops who hate him. And that kind of gets into his ego and his respect. He spends a lot of time with Clyde. You could get into the homosexuality part of it, and still make this, you know what I mean? It might feel like a little bit of a non sequitur, but if you're making a character piece across a couple of weeks or a couple of years, it, you could still hit, every, my point is, you could still hit everything that this movie tries to hit. It just would be a yeah. little bit more focused. I th there was a point during the Lindbergh stuff when it was, because it went, it does go on for quite a while. And there was a point during that where I was like, oh, maybe, maybe this is one of like three tracks that this movie's going to follow, similar to that job style thing, you know? Um, and it wasn't, but I, I thought that's what it was. And when I thought it was going to be that, I was pretty excited for that. Yeah. And I think the is movie it, also, a big problem is that it just doesn't have the, ju it doesn't have a lot of energy. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have to be. Yes, like, I fully it, agree with that. It doesn't have to be. It's, and that kind of, that falls on Clint. Clint makes a sleepy movies. You know what I mean? It doesn't have to be Sorkin level energy. It's just like, it just feels like we're, we're, we're watching a movie that was made by a 70 year old for. 50 to 70 year olds and that's fine but it's just also like it, it just feels like a missed opportunity you have such great talent assembled here and you made a glorified pbs biopic you know what i mean like there, there's so much more that could have been done with a story like this and it's just a lot left on the table it's a wasted opportunity totally do you have other points of uh specific points on this movie 
how they introduce his name was kind of silly. I don't know if that's a true story or not. He like goes shopping for suits and his his uh his check bounces because he can't put his actual name or whatever. Um so he's like, "Yeah, just put J Edgar down." <laughs> it's like, "Oh, wow." Yeah, that it, it it kind of felt like I mean, like I assume that's real because otherwise it's dumb. I hope it's real because it's dumb otherwise. I would hope so. I also but hope I, it's real because who's pompous enough to call themselves that? <laughs> What's your middle name? Like my my name? Yeah, me. Your middle name, <laughs> James. James. So a James Auger. Like I would hate you if you introduced yourself as that. Yeah, that's awful. More than I already hate you. So like that's horrific. A James. Especially when I could just call myself AJ if I really wanted to basically get the same point across. <laughs> um, um, I'd be N. Charles Ricardo. I forgot about the fact that there's a machine gun Kelly, like an actual machine gun Kelly. Yes. So I actually, yeah, I meant <laughs> so to when say they said that, it, I was, yeah. That threw me because I, I knew about the other machine gun Kelly, but I recently have been consuming a lot of. Um, our generation's Machine Gun Kelly, um, like music and his horrible movie that he just made. And um, I, um, I now it's the first thing I hear. It's been replaced in my brain. And so um, it's like you can't do If this movie were made now, they couldn't say that. Yeah. Because it would take you out of it. Yeah, they'd have to pick somebody else. They kind of hint at like John Dilger and stuff too. That was another, that was an aspect that I thought was okay. Um, when the perception of the common person shifts on the lawman, like they show how people hated his FBI PSA because they wanted to go see movies starring James Cagney where he plays a gangster. And then all of a sudden they start making some big arrests and big busts. And then the FBI guy being the lawman is the cool thing and how culture shifted that in that way. I thought that was an interesting note. Um, that culminated with a uh, fake Shirley Temple kissing Leo on the cheek, um, which I thought yeah, was a, um, which was an interesting cultural pull right there, but also probably based on a real photo. It, it was. I Googled it to see how accurate the photo was in setup and everything. And it really bothered me that um, in real life, she kissed his other cheek <laughs> and the photo is a little different. Um, but I, by the way, I love the word lawman. Uh, I think we should bring it back. The only other time I've encountered it has been in the Killers of the Flower Moon book. Um, that, I don't that's know. That's going to be a hype one of, for you, huh? Like, <laughs> I'm I'm very excited for it. Um, it's it's just a really interesting and cool story, and um, I don't know. It was a rare case of like a random book that I bought that I really liked. Um, I mean, Leo De Niro, Jesse Plemons. I mean, yeah, it's already. And I also in. got to tell the bookstore clerk. Uh, I picked up the book and looked at it, and then the bookstore clerk was like, ooh, I just read this. It's one of my favorite books. And I was like, oh, I was thinking about reading it because it's going to be a movie. And she was like, it's going to be a movie? And I was like, it's going to be a Scorsese movie. And I was like, look at me educating the bookstore clerk. Expected I said to be released recently, in November. this was like four years ago. What did you say? Expected to be released in November. So very soon. Yes. Uh, Which we knew already. Yes. But... yes. Um, um, dude, I'm psyched. Um, it's just a really cool story. Really, you said story. you said Jay of Gerhoover is in it. Um, he's I looked online. He is not listed as a cast member in it. Um, but I read the book, and conceptually speaking, he is important because that the case that the movie is about occurs at the advent of the FBI, and it's kind of like one of the first FBI cases. Um, and that's all Jay Edgar's doing. 
And there's stuff, I forget what, but there's stuff in this movie that, um, it's not fingerprinting, but it's something else that J. Edgar does that's touched upon. Oh, the idea of creating a consolidated file and everything for every, like a, a directory of, of, for crimes, so partly like fingerprinting. Um, all of that stuff plays into this. So in that sense, the presence of J. Edgar is important in the movie. I don't know if somebody will be playing him. I imagine it's not listed because it's going to be like one scene and it's more of a bit thing. Well, that kind of gets into the point that J. Edgar Clint Eastwood's version makes where it's like he was he had his hands in so many things, but he was obsessed with being the one to actually make the arrest and stuff like that. And like based on what I yeah. know here very vaguely about Killers of the Flower Moon, this is going to be about one of his lawmen doing the dirty work, quote unquote, dirty work for him in trying to solve this murder. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, I'm a little fuzzy on the details of it, um, now that I think about it, but yeah, it very much is, it's, it's kind of, it's, that movie is about going from the era of lawmen to the era of, uh, FBI agents and officers, because it really, it takes place, or the beginning of it takes place when there were not organized police forces in the town, you know, it was more vigilante style stuff, so. Um, I feel like it's been a while since Marty worked with Leo. Yeah, Wolf of Wall Street. It has worked with him since Wolf of Wall Street. Yep since uh yeah it's almost nine years at this point yeah i'm excited for it and i'm honestly like at the the reasons i'm usually excited about something really the the lowest top of the list is oh it's scorsese and de niro like i'm not even i think he'll be great in it but it's just i'm just super into the story and leo's gonna kill it too i think obviously shocker you know call me crazy andrew leo's a good actor he is like we were talking about with ray he elevates everything he's in and i think j edgar is another good example of that uh, because he finds ways to make each of his scene partners better. Like, I don't want to talk about Army Hammer too much because he doesn't deserve it. But, like, those scenes with a different actor might have been clunky. But, like, there's there's genuine, like, heartbreak and sadness in a couple of moments that both of them are able to mine. And I think Leo is doing a lot of the carrying there in terms of making what could have been something stilted work as genuine human emotions. And I felt the same way, same way about, and this is a transition to why we're watching the movie in the first place. I felt the same way about a lot of the scenes with Judy Dench. Cause she's supposed to be like this. She's not really a character. She's like in bed the whole time. She's like this. She's supposed to be like his, basically his moral conscious. She's like talking about, Oh, it's a lawless land. She's more faith, of a character than stuff, Ellen yada, yada, Burstyn yada. was. She's more of a character than Ellen Burstyn was in about. Scout. It, it, we don't need to talk about about scout again, just cause they're both in bed the whole time. <laughs> it's it, like I, I don't like this movie, but that's insulting to Clint Eastwood to be like, oh well, yeah, the performance of Ellen Burstyn in About Scout is not on the same level as Judy Dench, <laughs> Dame Judy Dench in Jay Edgar. I thought I always thought it was Damn Judy Dench. Didn't we do this bit last week or two weeks no, ago? No, I would never reuse a bit. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's a that's a that's an Oscars bit. Uh, Steve Martin and. Alec Baldwin, when they hosted in 2010, made that joke. They were like, not about Judy Dench, but about the other one that you simply cannot keep straight with the two of them, Helen Mirren. They see her in the crowd and they go, oh, wait, it's that damn Helen Mirren. And the whole crowd's like, uh-huh. just like I was with you right now. Uh, I didn't really, I'm not impressed by that joke. I was more impressed when I said it. I can't talk anymore about Helen Mirren or, or Judy Dench, frankly. What? what, what You've reached your cap. Why? I just I'm bored by them, man. That's so disrespectful to a legendary couple of actresses. Dench has an Academy Award, a Tony Award, two Golden Globes, four British Academy Dench. Television Awards. 
six British Academy Film Awards, seven Olivier Awards. She was in Shakespeare in the 50s. Yeah, um, it's proven that she's one of the most talented actresses in the world, right? So she can afford a little disrespect from me. But what's the basis of the disrespect? I'm bored of her. I see. You're not going to expand I'm on that bored. at all? I'm bored. I'm bored of her, Drew. 87 years old. She has to take this from you on a podcast on a Tuesday night. She's 87? Yeah. That's not that impressive. What would be more impressive to you? Norman Lear's 99, man. Ooh, I shouldn't say this because I talk about Ray. He's gone. I shouldn't. Oof. Yeah, I, I don't know where Norman Lear is now, but hold on to your loved ones because I think you just cursed him. He's got a month before he's 100. I'm, I'm really, really falling for it. Uh, sorry. So, um, look, I um, just just like Clive Owen did in the early 2000s, I derailed us. Um, what's next on, on your in your head? Everybody has to go back to past episodes to get that citation. Um, <laughs> you believe you remember it. We're basically building up an annex of references to well, it was like literally last episode, wasn't it? Because we were talking about train movies, and you're like, I don't yeah. know anything about Murder on the Orient Express, but I know Derailed. And it's like, okay, that is that is another train movie. That's true. That's where I'm at. That train wreck is another great train movie. Um, I don't know. So, how do you feel? So. I usually when I ask you how you felt overall, um, I accidentally step on points you made. So let me know if you have other points to make here. Um, uh, I don't think so. I mean, OK, I, I think we've covered pretty much the extent of the movie. Uh, here, I I liked J. Edgar more than you did. And so I was excited to talk about it for that reason. I did like it more than you did. I agree with a lot of the criticisms that you say, but I walked away from it being like, all right, cool. It's a solid movie. Not yeah, it shouldn't I, be it should not go in the history books, you know, it should not be a criterion collection release. Um, but I was like, all right, that's a I I I hate that this is my best concise analysis, but I said that's a vibe. Is it a good vibe though? That's uh, there's a lot of things. Yeah, it's a vibe. vibe. Yeah. Um, yeah, I found it aggressively mediocre and just another entry in a That's pack what most of, of my report cards said. <laughs> aggressively mediocre in every column. Um, I just, I just found it, you know, like kind of like whatever it's just like for what it could have been, it just is going through the motions a lot of the time and falls flat in a lot of specific ways for me. There are pieces of potential there that just never coalesce in anything good for or great for me, I should say. Uh, so yeah, not a recommendation for me, but um, you know, it's been 12 years. If you wanted to see it already, you would have, <laughs> I think a lot of people, yeah. Unless they were waiting for the Cinema Chain Gang uh, review a decade. I mean, who isn't, though? I so I uh, sorry. I'm thinking, you know, all right, fine. It's not a four star, but. I'm really inclined to go back and redo all the ratings I gave any other movie on this podcast, because um, this is this feels three and a half to me. You were considering four stars for this movie. Interesting. I wasn't considering four because of the movie. I was considering four based on what other movies I gave three and a half. I believe I gave this two and a half. I'm pulling up Letterboxd right now. Yes, I gave it two and a half. I believe I gave Behind it Behind the scenes, look, every once in a while, when I log on to Letterboxd, I'll see that you just logged a movie that's a Cinema Chain Gang movie, and I'll be like, hmm, I'm going to get a peek at what Andrew thought about this. Good, that's what you should be doing. What if I... <laughs> I, I love some of these... Uh... <laughs> Clint Eastwood's Call Me By Your Name. 
Did I just sit through this entire? <laughs> did I just sit through this entire bullshit movie just to watch Army Hammer and Leo DiCaprio kiss? Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I'm done. Got anything else on this? Well, if we have nothing else to say, um, I'll let somebody else have the final word here on Clint Eastwood. What actor was like the buzz like- that? was the most overrated in the 80s and 90s. As, as an actor? As an actor. Yeah. Clint Eastwood, probably. Okay, Clint Eastwood. Interesting. Overrated? Yikes. I didn't say it. That'll do it for this week's episode of the Cinema Chink. <laughs> I, guess I don't want to get him in trouble more. <laughs> it's like, it's like you, can't, you can't pull up old receipts like that on the, on the dead. He can't defend his point of view anymore. Hey, hey, don't call him dead. He is dead. Don't. Call him dead. What am I supposed to say? Always with us. Maybe that'll do it for the cinema training game pod. How do you, what, what are the things that you say at the end of this? <laughs> Go ahead. You've only listened to nineteen of them. <laughs> Take us home. Go ahead. <laughs> Let's hear how this goes. That'll, um, um, all right. Wait. Let me think if I know what you say. Let that'll me, do me, it. Let me for put the... on my feet and let me get like a nice little iced tea <laughs> and just listen. <laughs> And now it's all over. Um, <laughs> uh, that'll do it for this. <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> all right, I'll do it. I, I will spare you here. By the way, total occupational hazard for the next um, six months of us recording. We might just hear birds in the background on my end because they live under my AC right now. <laughs> do you have an issue with them? I have a friend at work. She talks about how they not to get graphic, but they kind of like get it on sometimes on the AC units. So here's the thing. I don't, I don't know what bird sex sounds like, uh, but it certainly sounds like that's what it is. Um, they, they nest under this like wooden shelf that my AC rests on. And uh, then when I remove it at the end of the season, there's a nest with like re like recently shed bird embryo on it and it smells. So yeah, that's, that is repulsive. That is one of the most repulsive. We talked about, we talked about elephant jizz two weeks ago, and yet the the bird embryo is like the most repulsive thing we've ever talked about on this podcast. <laughs> Horrifying. Yeah. Well, it's a circle of life. I'm happy for him. I'm happy for the bird. That'll do it for this week's before I throw up. That'll do it for this weekend. Uh, this weekend's that'll do. I'm, I'm shook. I can't I can't believe you just said that. I've, I've never heard that phrase before in my life. <laughs> well, now you have. Sounds like a terrible like '80s punk band that just like didn't make it, you know? Like, oh man, Black- I totally listen to Bird Embryo. Black Sabbath, Metallica, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kiss, and then you got Bird Embryo with their one charting hit that reached number ninety-six on the charts and never actually got past there. That will do it for the Cinema Chain Gang podcast. We have finished our Judy Dench portion of this chain. We're going to take Leonardo DiCaprio and move on to last year's. Don't Look Up, which also co-stars a bunch of people, but among them Himesh Patel, which is the second part of this chain. For Nick Ricardo, I'm Drew OJ. The chain continues. Rip-a-pooey. It's all over.